Everyone needs a pastor. A visit to the pastor's study brings biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you and pastoral ministry from those with proven experience in Christian service. Our time together will be lively, sometimes controversial, always useful, and never dull. Welcome to the study of Pastor Bill Shishko. And this is Pastor Bill Shishko here with you. Great to have you with us for another visit to the pastor's study. So important to keep in mind that the greatest miracle in this gospel age is the miracle of what we commonly call the new birth. Jesus Christ told the religious leader Nicodemus, you must be born again or you must be born from above. But Nicodemus didn't get it. See, we're all programmed, if I may put it that way, to think in terms of what we do in order to be made acceptable to God. And so Nicodemus is perplexed. How can a person be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? How can I do this? He asks Jesus. To which Jesus responds by saying, you can't. You must be born again or born from above by a work that only the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, can do. And we simply can't control the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Holy Spirit. It's God's sovereign work to take dead hearts and make them alive, to take hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh, to take people enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and free them to become citizens of heaven Holy Spirit-filled men, women, boys, and girls, and followers of God by a faith union with Jesus Christ. That's, That's a miracle. And never forget that it's the greatest miracle in this gospel age. Well, we can't control that work any more than any other miracle can be controlled by human beings. The Holy Spirit, like the wind, blows where he wishes But we hear and see his work. It's just like we hear the wind and see its effects in lives that are changed from within as God grants them new hearts. Those changed lives, like any miracle, testify to the power of God that he brings into effect by the gospel, all the good news that flows from the person and work of Jesus Christ. These These changed lives, and very often dramatically changed lives, make us look, listen, and ask questions, and they encourage us that the Lord Jesus really is alive and at work, doing exactly what he said he would do, save his people from their sins. Well, in our day, I don't know of any more amazing example of this miraculous power of God by the gospel than the work that God did and continues to do in Rosaria Butterfield. So many have read her account of that miraculous work in her first book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, An English Professor's Journey into Christian Faith. Her second book, Openness Unhindered, Further Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, is full of rich, insightful comments on sexual issues 
in relation to the Christian's union with Jesus Christ. So if you're wanting some truly clear and biblical analysis of things like same-sex marriage, sexual orientation, and gender identity, you'll find that in Openness Unhindered, Rosaria Butterfield's second book. But it's her third book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, that's real dynamite, well, as if her first two books weren't, But in that volume, and I've called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, without any exaggeration, one of the most powerful books I've read next to the Bible itself. In that book, Rosaria Butterfield explains and demonstrates how the gospel not only opens our hearts, but also opens our homes, or at least it should. It's not only a call to exercise radical, ordinary hospitality, as Rosaria puts it, but also to see that hospitality as, in God's hands, a daily way to make strangers neighbors and neighbors part of the family of God. Well, as we think of ministering in what is often called a post-Christian culture, I don't believe that any method, if I may put it that way, is more important than this. Radical, ordinary hospitality. It comes when God opens your heart to opening your home. And as we've developed this theme on previous visits to the pastor's study, we've come to realize that that this is really nothing less than showing others the hospitality of God by which he saves us by bringing us into his own house. Well, in a moment, I'm going to let Rosaria Butterfield tell you the remarkable story of how God opened her heart by the gospel and by the means of hospitality. But I wanted to go further and show us what it looks like when those opened hearts begin to open their homes. Remember, Rosaria Butterfield was an English professor, and she knows how to tell a story. But the purpose of this edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study isn't just for you to hear the story about one person's journey from open heart to open home. We want to encourage you and to experience your own journey on the very same path of radical, ordinary hospitality. So get ready to be challenged to think and to act. And incidentally, if you keep listening, you'll hear how you can get a free copy of Rosaria Butterfield's outstanding book. Can't commend it too highly. The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Now remember that this program invites you to visit the pastor's study yourself by way of your phone calls or texts to be on air as part of the program. Just call 631-955-5400. Again, that's if you'd like to call in with your question, 631-955-5400. Or you can text your questions. You can do that any time during the week. But particularly for this program, text questions only 516-367-0391. Put that under Pastor Bill. And even if we don't use your text questions today, we'll try to get to them in a future open forum. Rosaria Butterfield, thanks for making time for us in your busy, busy schedule. And welcome to a visit to the pastor's study. 
Oh, thank you. I actually can't think of anything that would be more edifying to me right now than to have a visit to the pastor's study bill. So this is perfect. This is just perfect. (laughs) Well, the feeling is mutual, Rosaria. Tell us, now we're talking about the greatest miracle, and I should say it's it's the greatest miracle in the resurrection of Christ. That is the greatest miracle. But tell us first how the Lord did his miraculous work in you and how he changed your heart. Right, 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 right. Well, when I um, first started exploring issues of faith, of Christian faith, it was not because I thought I, you know, I thought they were compelling and good and interesting. It's I thought they were absurd and ridiculous, and I wanted to write a book that um, really explained, in some ways, why people like you at that time hated people like me at that time. So I was a um, just finished my book for tenure at Syracuse University and. I wanted to write a book against the religious right. Um, I just didn't understand why well-meaning people wouldn't leave consenting adults alone. And so I, um, I started to read the Bible, because I'm an English professor by training, and I have to, you know, I like to read books, but I have to read them, especially if I want to dismantle them. And um, in the process of reading the Bible, uh, the Promise Keepers came to Syracuse University, and I wrote what was supposed to be a small op-ed piece in a newspaper that ended up getting a full-page spread. They titled it, The Promise Keeper's Message is a Danger to Democracy. And um, I believed every word of it. I believed every word of what I wrote in that as an unconverted person. One of the people reading that article was Pastor Ken Smith of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. In fact, he, he learned about that article because one of his young elders put the article on his desk and said, Ken, we have got to shut this woman up. She is trouble. She uh, co-authored the domestic partnership policy at the university. She's, um, uh, you know, she's, she's, an, she's a feminist. She's a lesbian. She speaks and marches at gay pride marches. She's a very popular professor, and she is dangerous. We need to shut her up. Ken read the article and said, well, maybe, maybe Floyd, that's his wife, Floyd and I should invite Rosaria to dinner. And, you know, I wasn't obviously there at the time, but now, 20-some years later, as a pastor's wife myself, can only imagine how that young elder just walked away, you know, thinking, this guy's got to retire. You know, he's got a tiger by the tail. He has no idea what he's doing. But that was the beginning of probably a thousand meals at Ken Smith's house with um, pouring over the scriptures pouring over my life, learning how to turn the pages of my heart against the pages of the Bible. And after years and years of that, something happened, and it wasn't a book against the religious right. It was, it was the reality that the Bible had gotten to be bigger inside me than I. And even though I had really thought that I was on the side of of progress, I was on the right side of history, I was on the side of diversity and compassion and love. It was just a crushing revelation to discover that it was actually Jesus Christ I had been persecuting the whole time, not just some historical figure named Jesus Christ, but but my Jesus Christ, my Savior, my husband, my King, my friend, and it was at that moment that I realized that even though my feelings, my very fallen 
feelings and my very fallen sexual desires had not changed, something even bigger had changed, and that was my heart, and that I wanted Jesus. I wanted the Lord to hear my prayers, and I wanted to hear Him pouring into my life. And so that that's what happened. And I was a public figure at the time. I was a gay rights activist. I was a professor. And so public sins require public repentance. And uh, it was misery. I mean, Bill, let me tell you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it, was well, not a, it was not a picnic. <laughs> you could feel it, Rosario, when I read uh, with fascination, and my books are well marked, the books you've written, The Secret oh. Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, an English Professor's Journey into Christian Faith, all that pain comes out in the book, which again I highly recommend. And incidentally, and I know Rosario, you didn't mean it this way, but I do. I do not hate. I did not hate then, nor do I hate now. No, people from you, no. I, but I know what you're getting at. So there's too know, much of that. I know, sure. and that's one of the challenges, and that's part of the purpose of the new book. One of the challenges, even 25 years ago, instead of seeing people as image bearers of a holy God, unique and individual. Um, on both sides of every polarized camp, we tend to see them as part of a tribe, and we think we know their hearts, and we don't. We don't. We don't. We don't. Yeah, I've, I've, I remember Rosaria saying once to um, a well-known person in the evangelical world, uh, we, there would be revival in evangelical and Reformed circles if we would start looking at each person first as made in God's image. And Rosaria, what stunned me is he said, I agree with you, but most don't. Wow, that's stunning. Oh, yeah. Now, Rosario, yeah. why do you, now why, I mean, your second book, Openness mm-hmm. Unhindered, why did you write that? And w- tell people where you got that title from. Yeah, yeah. Well, the title is um, in the NASB translation of the Bible. It's really the last two words of the book of Acts. Um, Paul is uh, on house arrest. He's He's actually... Uh, he's actually at the heart of the Roman Empire, right? With, you know, Paul is is just he's serving boldly. He's preaching Christ even in house arrest, and the the verse reads like this. Um, and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. And what you see in there is that nothing could stop the complete accomplishment of redemption. Um, Nothing could. I mean, nothing could in terms of Christ's death and resurrection, and nothing can stop it now in the proclaiming of the gospel. But that is a classic example of of doing so even with chains. Paul uh, often says, remember my chains uh, in his letters, and he's not saying that because he wants you to feel sorry for him, because he goes on to say, my chains make me bold. And so Openness Unhindered is a book that, that takes up this question of gay Christianity, um, a topic that many in the evangelical church have fallen for. Uh, and I make the case that it is, it is very bad theology, it is heresy, and quite frankly, it doesn't matter if you're side A or side B. It doesn't matter if you tell me that you're a celibate gay Christian but you really are gay, that is really who you are, um, or if you are a gay rights activist. And I'm going to tell you why. That sounds like a crazy thing, right? But you can't have a biblical 
uh, you can't have biblical ethics if you don't start with biblical anthropology. And the, the uh, celibate gay Christian movement, along with the gay rights movement, they both begin from this idea that homosexuality is not a sin, it is an aesthetic. Mm. And then the celibate gay Christian movement wants to say, but as long as you don't act on that aesthetic, it's all very good. It makes us better friends with people of our same gender. It just means that we struggle with what they call disordered friendship. And so I, I wanted to really write a book that explained that you couldn't have union with Christ and sexual identity wrapped up in a, a, a very sinful configuration at the same time. And I also want to recognize that for many of us who, uh, who have struggled against same-sex desire, it wasn't something that any of us chose. It was very much Adam's thumbprint on our lives. But from a Reformed perspective, and therefore a biblical perspective, you must deal with the original sin that distorts and condemns you, the actual sin that enlists and distracts you, and the indwelling sin that manipulates you, because all three condemn you. And so uh, I actually hired a research assistant from the spiritual friendship community, that's the gay Christian community, and I did that because I wanted to write a book that they would read. I wanted to write a book that, that did not misrepresent their arguments, but that recognized, no, I understand your arguments. I just disagree. And this disagreement is not a small disagreement. We're not, we're not standing in the same forest looking at trees from different angles. We're in totally different forests. And when eternity is at stake, this is a very, very important conversation. So that was the heart of that book. Openness Unhindered. Yeah, I can't uh, overstate for the listeners in here, this is one of the finest. Developments. There, there's uh, Rosario. I've told people there's more, more, more good doctrine in one of your paragraphs than in many preachers' sermons. But conversion, oh, no. I, identity, repentance, sexual orientation, self-representation, conflict, community—it's all opened up magnificently in there. Rosario, oh, we're almost at the time for the break, but I know this is going to be on people's minds, and it's on mine. Um, what what have been the responses to your books, especially from the LGBTQ community? Yeah, yeah. Well, it just it, it has changed over over time. Of course, in the beginning, I think I was a big threat to the LGBTQ community, and so you know there was a great deal of pushback and a great deal of interest, really. Um, but after the Obergefell decision, I'm I'm you know I'm on the wrong side of history. I, I I'm I'm a flea. Uh, you know, one flea <laughs> among many. Yeah, right. So um, not much interest at all. The, the people who are most um, engaged with me right now in a kind of negative way, the people who really are concerned about me and would like me to shut up and stop speaking, yeah. are the gay Christian movement. Wow. And I'll tell you, I, just, I don't think Satan wants unbelievers to leave the Church. I think he wants them to preach in the Church. And so the real issue is a lot closer to home these days. Whoa, that's insightful. That's insightful. Um, we want to go from your your open heart to your <laughs> open home, Rosaria. We're going to do that after we have this message from the voice of a visit to the pastor's study.
that great city, New York. Metropolitan New York is the largest city in the United States. And with a population of over 20 million people, Metro New York is one of the largest cities in the world. And what's more, Metro New York is home to people from every nation of the world. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. But churches faithful to historic Reformation Christianity in the Metro New York area are few and far between. The mission fields of Metro New York are America's richest and most neglected. Reformation Metro New York is an agency by which the Orthodox Presbyterian Church is planting and developing biblically faithful churches and church ministries in the Metro New York area. Through Reformation Metro New York, you can help promote the outreach of this program, a visit to the pastor's study, and other projects designed to further the ongoing reformation of the church. That and church planting are the great passions of Reformation Metro New York. For more information, check out the website at at ReformationMetroNY.org, where you'll get a personal look at the ministries of the churches, pastors, evangelists, and teachers of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in the area, and you'll learn how you can be a part of our labors. We need your help. Here's the site again, ReformationMetroNY.org. Thanks for your interest and your help. Remember that great city, New York. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. Now back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Pastor Bill Shishko here with you today. My my guest is Rosaria Butterfield, author of three books, uh, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, Openness Unhindered, and the one we're going to focus on now, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. If you'd like to call with your questions, 631-955-5400. Most of you prefer just a text so we can get these answered in a different forum. That number is 516-367-0391. Well, Rosario, open your heart to us about your most Mm. recent book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Why'd you write that? Well, this book is my heart. Uh, This book absolutely is my heart. Over the many years um, that I've been um, a Christian, uh, of course it comes up, how did you... How'd you get here? How, how did somebody like you, you know, get, get, get to this tribe? And, and I, I would share my testimony and share those thousands of meals at Ken Smith's house, the, 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 the countless hours, the way that Ken would come over and meet my, meet my lesbian community, the way that he helped my transgendered friend understand himself. And I, and I share all of this. And I, and I share the fact that it wasn't just me, you know, that Ken's house was, was wide open and, and, and people would come in and they'd, they'd eat and they'd talk. And that at a certain point, you know, the Bibles would come out and, and they, you know, Ken didn't treat the Bible like it belonged in a museum. You know, if you spilled coffee on it, you, you, you kept going. Yeah. But it was there to really wrestle with and, and how that is the bridge that hospitality home was the bridge that the Lord used to bring me to Himself. And then, as I as I share these kinds of things, I have probably met thousands of people who have come to Christ through hospitality. I mean, obviously through saving faith, but but the the bridge was hospitality, and it wasn't a meal perfectly orchestrated and organized that had a set beginning and a set end, but a home that was open and Christian lives that were laid bare. 
And, and as I share this, I say to people, people, our, our theology is on display every minute of the day. And sometimes people say, that's, you know, they catch that vision and they say, oh, yeah, I know people who came to faith like that, too. Or missionaries say, oh, well, of course. But most of the people I meet hear my story and they walk away rich, young, ruler style. And they say, yeah, that's nice, Rosaria, and we're so glad you're finally cleaned up, but that's just too hard. And so I really actually wrote the book because I wanted to show people that it isn't too hard. And yet, as I, as I hear reviews of the book, I realize I didn't, <laughs> Bill, I didn't make that mark. That didn't seem to happen. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. And I, I meant this. When I got done the book, I said to my wife, Margaret, because uh, we also found in my 35 years of ministry here on Long Island that it was the hospitality that was, and I love the term, the yeah. bridge to people. But I was, yeah. and <laughs> your book is well marked. One day you can autograph it for me. Uh, but I would love to. <laughs> page, page 64, hospitality renders our houses, hospitals, and incubators. When I was in a lesbian community, this is how we thought of our homes. I learned a lot in that community about how to shore up a distinctive culture within and to live as a despised but hospitable and compassionate outsider in a transparent and visible way. I learned how to create a habitus that reflected my values to a world that despised me. And my note, Rosaria, at the beginning of the book is that this is the key to what drives mm-hmm. Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria, what, yeah. t- tell us a little bit. I mean, it was obvious. You learned so many things from the hospitality practices of the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community. Um, mm-hmm. what, what did you learn from them that made you think about hospitality, or maybe the lack of it, in, in the Christian community in the United States? Right, right, right. And, I, you know, I always feel like I, I did. I did learn a lot. But I need to make that make it clear that I think there's a distinction between the liberal communitarianism okay. of my lesbian world and the Christian hospitality that I'm that I'm writing about and and living today. But I'll tell you, both took a lot of effort. Both left a lot of skin in the game. So I I lived as a lesbian in New York in the 90s when the AIDS crisis had just unleashed itself on our world. And what people don't really know, or I don't think they know, is that really women who identify as lesbian and men who identify as gay have nothing in common with each other. Not a thing. Uh, women who identify as lesbian look at men who identify as gay, or we did, and we said, you guys are just a bunch of sexual hedonists. And, and the men who identify as gay would look at us and say, you're just a bunch of political social prigs. Uh, there was no coalition. There was no, you know, right now we bundle everything. There's coalitions, LGBTQ plus, 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 plus. Well, that just didn't exist in the 90s. But then all of a sudden, people started to die. And people died at a very fast rate in New York. And that woke us up and we changed. And let me make this so clear to your readers. We did this without Christ. We changed without prayer. We, 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 we dug down and we lived differently. I had neighbors who used to practice uh, a, a particular, agree, they were S&M gay men. 
That's a, I, don't, I won't even define it. I, I, I can't even explain it on, on our radio sure. show tonight. But I will tell you this. They turned their home into an AIDS hospice, and they learned how to bootleg AZT. Amazing. At that time, AZT was the only uh, immune blocker that was working, and it was $10,000 a shot. And the other thing that happened is we all started opening our home every night. Um, not, and I should say this, not every single home, but everybody knew some home in the community that was open every night of the week for food, and conversation and help. Yeah, you were kind of a support group at that point when when the mm-hmm. tragedies came. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. yeah, absolutely. And we were a political activist group too because we did not have the gospel. You know, I think Romans is so clear about this. If you cannot receive a blessing from God, this is the end of Romans 1, you will demand it from men. Interesting. And that's why you can never get enough social civil rights. That's why the minute the first political coup is won, it's not enough and you have to go on to the next one. And I lived under the pressure of that compulsion and the hope of that compulsion. But also in the process, I learned how to peel a lot of potatoes. And I learned how to set, not to take my professional life too seriously. Yes, I was writing books. Yes, I was giving lectures. Yes, I was, I was, you know, uh, a person of, of note in the world. But what I did on those Thursday nights in my home, they started to, it, it became very clear to me that community building and hospitality and just standing there in the gap for people who were suicidal and, and that, that was hugely important. And, and it so was, I learned how to do it. Yeah, and it was really kind of a counterfeit. Uh, in a real sense of yes. what true Christian hospitality yes. is. Fasc- oh, 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 absolutely. absolutely, yeah. Fascinating interview today with Rosaria Butterfield, author of, um, among other books, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. If you'd like to talk with Rosaria, you can call 631-955-5400, or you can text your questions, 516-367-0391. Stay tuned, because we have a free book offer, but you're going to have to wait for that to come. Anyway, now a brief message from those who are bringing you today's visit to the pastor's study. A visit to the pastor's study is brought to you each week at this time by the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches in Metropolitan New York and Connecticut. Our local congregations are in East Haddam, Connecticut, that's Harvest Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and in Hamden, Connecticut, that's Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Mount Vernon, and then also a congregation in Queens and Fresh Meadows, Reformation Presbyterian Church. Here on Long Island, you'll find Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Franklin Square and in Syosset, that's Trinity Church, and then the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Bohemia, New York. These aren't the only faithful churches in our area, but they're ones that we can commend to you, and we would encourage you to visit them if you don't already have a local church. We also encourage you to visit our website, visitthepastorstudy.org. That's all one word, visitthepastorstudy.org, where you'll find archives of all of the programs and what we call these magazine articles for the ear. Again, that's visitthepastorstudy.org. And I always appreciate your emails. You can email me at visitpastorbill at gmail.com. That's visitpastorbill at gmail.com. Questions you have about the program or about anything else connected with the work, I invite them. And now, back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. 
My guest today is Rosaria Butterfield, author of The Gospel Comes with a House Key. If you'd like to call with your questions, 631-955-5400, or you can text your questions, 516-367-0391. We are so thankful for our friends at Crossway Publications. You can find out about all their books at crossway.org. And they've given us some copies of The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and we're glad to send them on to you. You just have to email your name and mailing address to visitpastorbill at gmail.com. Please don't just include your email address. Very difficult to get a book to you that way. Okay, so visitpastorbill at gmail.com, and we'll pass a copy of The Gospel Comes with a House Key on to you. Um, okay, Rosaria, uh, open now open your home to us through the mm. program. Uh, yeah, I thought of this as I'm reading your book. What is a day in the life of the Butterfield home with its radical, ordinary hospitality? Well, I could just paint the picture of what it looks like right now, because I want you to know before I made this phone call, I, I said to all the children who are here, now look, this is a live interview. <laughs> You are to not burn the house down. You are to not lose the dogs. <laughs> I, gave, I gave a long list. So far, so good. All right, I, I yeah, don't hear any right, screams. Yeah, we, okay. we, haven't, we haven't heard. And I could tell you some stories of things that have happened on live interviews before. That have frightened well, we still have a while left to go. So yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, but, um, but we have a new, we have a new family that moved in. And um, it's a predominantly Spanish-speaking family. And they have a 75-pound Rottweiler puppy that keeps getting loose. And so my neighbors are complaining about the dog and the house. And so we were successful in meeting the children and the dog, and they've all been here this afternoon, and the dogs are playing in the backyard, and we're going to try to see if we can find out how we can be good Christian neighbors. Okay, so there you go. So at any moment, you know, I, I don't know, the cat and I are hanging out in the back bedroom where I'm having this conversation. We'll see, you know, at any moment. <laughs> Rosaria, it's a good thing you have a very high view of the sovereignty of God. <laughs> or, or we can just think back to the whole purpose of the Westminster Confession. Yeah. And its contribution to idiots and imbeciles. I mean, you know, we could do it either way. You should know that the church of which Rosaria is a part, the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, and the church of which I'm a part, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, are among the so-called uh, Presbyterian and Reformed churches here in North America. So we're a little in-house discussion here. <laughs> yes. Okay. R- Rosaria, you've, you've touched on this before, but what— why is this kind of radical, ordinary hospitality so important in what you rightly call our post-Christian world? Yeah, yeah. The, the two concepts are, are intimately connected. Uh, prior to the Obergefell decision, the decision that legalized gay marriage, we had a window that has now closed. And, and I think we just need to face that. I, I don't think that's gloom and doom. I just think that's reality. Um, one of the things that happened with Obergefell was not simply the legalization of gay marriage. That would, that's a problem unto itself. But Obergefell also really created a, um, a robust uh, uh, I don't, heresy about personhood by declaring uh, homosexuality uh, a civil right 
and and what and, and they did it not so much on a practice but on a person. And so what 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 Abergefell did was was insta- ins- uh, insert into policy this position that LGBT is not how you live, but it is who you are. Right. Also in that in that law is the idea that of, of what's called dignitary harm. And what that means is that it is it is um, it is not okay for you to say, I'm sorry, according to my ordination vows, I cannot marry two women, but these churches can. It's not okay to do that anymore because you might be harming someone's dignity. So it used to be that a, uh, a breach of these things would have to do with some material claim. You failed to provide a service. Well, even if you are able to provide via someone else this service, by, by refusing to participate, you've harmed someone's dignity or someone's personhood. And so in a world where there is no longer an understanding of what it means to be human, any and all atrocities can happen. You know, we read the Bible and we read about sacrificing our children to Moloch, and we say, well, that's barbaric. Well, that's where we are with transgender issues and teenagers. That's right where we are. And so radically ordinary hospitality becomes a way to do this, becomes a way to build very strong relationships with people, people who have very hard lives, and it it allows those strong relationships to be just as strong as the words you need to speak. It's the place where nobody can fire you. You're not at the, you know, you're not at the coffee table at work. Nobody can fire you in your home for putting the hand of the stranger into the hand of the Savior. And, And the other reason that this is important is when you lose a grip on what it means to be human, and boy, do I know this, I lived this. When you lose a grip on that, your life becomes riddled with abuse and addictions. And, and what that means is it's, it's lovely to invite your neighbors over for a meal, let's say the second Tuesday, you know, in November. But what if your neighbors, quite frankly, don't know if they're going to be sober or safe that day? Yeah, interesting. You know, they're going to say no just because they're terrified. Right. So it's a different way of thinking about people, and it's a different way of reaching people. Yeah, you have to be very, very almost existential by the moment. You just mm-hmm. got to be available mm-hmm. all the time. Rosario, give us your thoughts and your advice for reaching out to the LGBTQ community. I mean, maybe you could tell us. Right. I think you hit on it. How how are evangelical Christians seen within that community, and right. how can we break down those barriers without compromising right. our convictions? Yeah, and it's very hard to do right now because the public discourse yeah. creates polarization right. even when private relationships don't even, you know, they don't even compel in that direction. So it's extremely difficult right now. In general, I would say that you would not evangelize um, and you would not befriend and you would not extend hospitality to the LGBTQ community any differently than you would anybody else. Okay. You know, Good. that when you, when you move into an area and neighbors move in, 
you want to find out their names. And if it's, if it's a couple that identifies as lesbian and they have children, you want to find out what their children call them. And then you want to find out how you would, how you would like my children to address you. And that is all well within the pale of what you would do with anybody walking in. So, you know, one of the things that all of this presumes is that you've already had a conversation with your children. And if you haven't, and I understand if you haven't, because things have changed so quickly. You know, I think it was George Orwell who said, if you want to, if you change the language, you will change the logic. And that has happened in a blink of an eye. And so there's a very helpful ministry called Harvest USA. They've been featured on the program, Rosaria. We've had Tim Geiger on. Outstanding ministry. But please promote it, please. Yeah, well, Tim has a book. Uh, He has two books out. Um, um, And and the older one is, it's a little booklet. It's not even a book. It's a booklet. And it's called Raising Sexually Healthy Children. And in it is a very helpful primer of how to talk to your children in an age-appropriate way so that you can talk to your neighbors in an evangelistic way. Um, so you want to find out what the issues are, but here's, here's what you do want to do. You want to know that, that, um, that everybody really does need Jesus, and I don't care how good it looks from the outside. There are some very serious things going on in LGBTQ households. For, for women who identify as lesbian, there is um, a, a, building, a building codependence combined often with uh, verbal abuse, um, and, and, and I think you've, you really do need to be sensitive to that. You want to make, you really want to be there for your neighbors. Um, I can't underestimate how compromising abuse and addictions are for human beings. We're not meant to make idols of anything. We're meant to worship God, but if we're not worshiping God, idols capture us, and they literally make us slaves. Yeah, they destroy so, um, us, sure. And they right. Just, right. So I would say, you know, get to know your neighbors. I will tell you that I pray that my neighbors who identify as lesbian, that they will break up. I pray that regularly. Um, it, it happens all the time. Um, and then I also pray that I would be both earthly and spiritual good to people who are, are in, a, in a place where they are open to, to receiving help. And, um, and then I make good on that. Um, when you find out, and there's a lot of breaking up, there's lots of breakups. Um, you don't see it on the news. CNN doesn't report it. But um, gay marriage is not working. It's not a workable, sustainable uh, thing. In fact, there's quite frankly nothing gay about marriage. Well, that's, you know, Rosaria, this has been one of my struggles uh, because I, I'm mm-hmm. so, like you, I'm a word person. And right. I'm so hesitant to use the word mm-hmm. gay for practicing homosexuals because it's a good word. And those that yeah. I work with, I know with you, they're not gay. They're miserable. Yeah, they're, bris- they're right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, Rosaria, um, I, I've heard, and I want to get to this before the break. I know this is on people's minds. I hear this when, when people mm. read your book. Mm. I, I've heard people say, and I'm sure you've heard this too, they get overwhelmed. <laughs> as they begin reading the gospel comes with the house now you mitigated a bit at the end which is good but but it seems like you have people in your home all the time i mean do you get any breaks <laughs> you know i'll tell you we we are living on mission here because 
we had an experience in our neighborhood that prompted us in that direction. And I think that's what people need to remember about the book. The book was written just, you know, just after a meth lab was discovered across the street and just after the man who was cooking meth across the street, who was our friend, was incarcerated, and just when a mob of neighbors were understandably angry at us. And so having nightly dinners was very helpful in, in, in hearing people out, but also opening our home to uh, opening our family devotions to the world and saying, yes, this is a very terrible situation. Let's bring Jesus into this. And, and, and just prior to that, you know, we have to remember that we had the Obergefell decision, and, and I'm, I've got some skin in that one, too, right? This is the world I helped create. One of, the, one of the driving forces of Obergefell is it's not fair that all of these same-sex attracted people are miserable and lonely. And you know what? As a, as a believer who is a pastor's wife and a, 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 a you know, life covenant member, you know, I, of course that's terrible. God doesn't want—God puts the lonely in families. And so at that moment, we started making sure that all of our singles and all of our same-sex attracted uh, friends— uh, knew that our home was their home, and that we were going to do the same thing every night. We were going to put a meal together, and we were going to uh, have a good conversation. Maybe it was going to be a little feisty, because people don't agree about stuff. And then we were going to open the Bible, and Kent was going to lead us through family devotions, and we were going to sing a psalm, and we are going to pray. And then guess what we're going to do tomorrow? Come back and do the same thing. Bring your friends. So it's, And you know what that does, is it just it just stops that conversation that says Christians live lonely lives. Interesting. If you live radically in that way, it, 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 just, it, it, it just decompresses the whole accusation. So you do you this every wrong. evening. Every evening your home is open for this. You know, well, well not every evening. If, if we have somebody, if we have a child sick with the flu or something, you know, we don't do that. And and certainly, sure. when my when my aged mom was dying in our home, we didn't do this. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's the point isn't so much that, but but, but right now we are doing it pretty much every night. Yeah. Um, so, but the point isn't that you you know your family, my family, we're doing this every night. It's not works righteousness. The point right. is that somebody in the church is doing this. That that just like you know that there's there's a place to go. That there isn't anybody in our church, looking for community on the Internet, that, that people aren't, aren't finding identity in their lived experience. They're finding it in the body of Christ. You know, the gay Christian movement says, we need visibility. Well, right there, evangelical Christians should know there's nothing Christian about that, because God doesn't promise us visibility. In the church, He promises us belonging. But because we haven't really lived into that, it left a hole for Satan to exploit, and exploit it he did. And so, you know, we just made the choice. We made the choice. I could, I could be doing something other than peeling potatoes for hours a day. But we decided that would be a really good thing for me to do. And then as we have seen our neighbors come to Christ, and as we have seen our children know how to, how to take care of those new neighbors on the block there that the other neighbors are gossiping about right now, that we know how to step into that. We know how to, how to make this a good situation, that in Christ 
we see this as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel, not not call the dog pound. Wow. Those, you know, that's that's what this allows. Fascinating, Rosaria. Hey, thanks so much for being our guest on today's visit to the pastor's study, Rosaria Butterfield. What a great note on which to end at least this program. And I remind you of her books, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, and also Openness Unhindered, Sexual Identity and Union with Christ. Those are both published by Crown and Covenant Publications, the publication company of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, and then also the one we've been featuring here, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, published by Crossways. Um, and they our thanks to them for enabling us to make this free book offer. If you'd like a copy of The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and then just email your name and mailing address to visit Pastor Bill at gmail.com. We come to the section of the program called Counsel from the Pastor's Study, uh, since people come to the Pastor's Study for counseling. And I want to build on Rosaria Butterfield's statement, a call to radical, ordinary hospitality. Biblical texts on hospitality, Romans 12 and verse 13, pursue hospitality. Hebrews 13 and verse 2 is an interesting one. Don't overlook, don't overlook hospitality. Uh, for in, in, in so doing, in hospitality, some have entertained angels unawares. Fascinating thought. And then in 1 Peter 4 and verse 9, th- this was our favorite one, uh, practice hospitality without grumbling. <laughs> so those, those are the biblical texts. I know Rosario have them memorized. And I want to remind you that there is a difference between fellowship, biblical word is koinonia, and hospitality, the biblical word is actually love of strangers. They're not the same things. Uh, many Christians practice the first, they'll fellowship together with other believers, we're in our comfort zone, but they don't do the second, which is loving the stranger. And brothers and sisters, you got to, words of Bob Dylan, you got to change your way of thinking um, because, you know, there, there's, there's barriers that enter. And Rosaria mentioned some of them. We have these mental barriers, the perfect home barrier. Your home doesn't have to be perfect. Our own lives, we still have a lot of remaining indwelling sin, and we're honest mm. about that, right? That's part of the way of presenting the gospel. The fancy meal barrier, or Rosaria alluded to that, where you think that you have to have a gourmet meal each time. One of the finest exercises of hospitality I ever experienced was a, a Dutch couple in Canada, and we had peanut butter and this uh, very fine bread and a tureen of soup. It was wonderful. The interruption in my schedule barrier, which, as Rosari has pointed out, is something you've got to break down, or the expense barrier, budget for this. But loving the stranger, uh, that's the they're different than I am barrier, and you must break it down. Skin color, national background, political differences, sexual differences. And as Rosaria has pointed out, there is a difference between acceptance and approval. She develops that in her books. You can accept people as people. You accept people as people. That doesn't mean you approve of their lifestyle. So begin by looking at people not by race or by nationality or by political affiliation or sexual identity, but as Rosaria has said, as people made in God's image. And keep thinking of each person you meet from the perspective of eternity. Because you see, everyone that you meet will spend eternity 
in either heaven or hell. And you have the privilege of being an instrument to lead them to heaven. And think about God's hospitality to you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place in my Father's house for you. Psalm 23, believers in Christ, in union with him by faith, uh, they will, will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let that change you more and more into the image of your God, who is a hospitable God. And, and I know that Rosario would have added this at the end. When you look at your LGBTQ neighbors, remember that God takes crooked things and he makes them straight. And you must believe that and live out of it. And as Rosario said again, do begin with your neighbors. Get to know your neighbors here on Long Island from where I'm broadcasting. It's a shame that many don't even know their neighbors. So just keep it simple. Just seek to be a good neighbor, as Rosario said, and pray for opportunities. Volunteer in your local church, serve on a hospitality committee, or help start one if they don't have one. And have people read and discuss the gospel comes with a house key. Great way to begin to get people percolating when it comes to hospitality. And then pray above all else for the Holy Spirit's work, because as we said at the beginning, the greatest miracle in the gospel age is new hearts, and that's what we aim at. Our thanks to Rosaria Butterfield and to Crossways Publications. Again, they've given us some copies of the book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and we're glad to get them in the mail to you so you can use them. Just email your name and your mailing address to visitpastorbill at gmail.com, visitpastorbill at gmail.com. Check out the archives of past Visit to the Pastor's Study programs. You can get them on sermonaudio.com or on our own website, Visit the Pastor's Study. That's all one word, visitthepastorsstudy.org. Note particularly the programs on hospitality and the interviews with Tim Geiger of Harvest USA, as Rosaria mentioned today. Appreciate your feedback and your questions. Email me, visitpastorbill at gmail.com. I've given you that. Or call me if you prefer, 516-593-1507. Remember, tomorrow's the Lord's Day, so be sure to set apart time to worship the Lord in a church that's faithful to the Word of God because, remember, everyone needs a pastor. You've been listening to A Visit to the Pastor's Study, a ministry of Reformation Metro New York. Our website is www.reformationmetrony.org. Again, that's www.reformationmetrony.org. For more information on the program, check out our website at www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. Org. That's www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. Listen in next week at 12 noon for another edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Remember, everyone needs a pastor.